It's a Jeep. Maybe we'll get a sponsorship. Getting it done in the snow. We have a, we've got a lot of things to talk about, actually, tonight. Um, one of them being a really important and timely issue, which is making everyone upset, which is uh, not really a renter's issue, but it's a major environmental topic right now. Um, and it's affecting people in Weymouth, especially. We're talking about the Weymouth Compressor, which actually is going forth with the construction tomorrow. And we have a guest with us on the phone, Professor Nathan Phillips, which we'll get to, to go into the details of why this is going to be so harmful for the environment and why we should do everything we can to support the activists against it. We're also going to talk about a few things later, one of them being the Harvard strike. The grad students strike or the grad students union are walking out on strike tomorrow as Mm -hmm. well. So it's a big day of action this week. And uh, we're going to play an interview with them and uh, discuss why that's important as well. We also have our usual renters horror stories and some more sexy taxes via Always. Evan. Uh, so let's get right into it. Um, once again, I'm Lauren, and there's Evan, and we have our guest, Professor Nathan Phillips, on the phone, and we are good to go. Nathan, how's it going? Hey, how are you? It's great to be on, Evan and Lauren. Hi, thank you for thank you for coming on. Um, so. One of the things about this uh, Weymouth compressor that I've been reading so much about is that it's so environmentally unsafe and toxic, and I kind of did a deep dive into it. But I want to hear from you exactly what the residents of Weymouth are taking issue with and sort of what your background has been in fighting it this whole time. And how long has this been going on? Yeah, so it's been going on for five years now since it was proposed, and there's a range of issues involved. One is the danger of explosions, and the company that wants to build this Enbridge has a really bad safety record. In fact, on August 1st of this year, one of their pipelines exploded and a woman in Kentucky was killed. And so they've had a number of of very dangerous situations. So there's that aspect. And then the compressor that they want to build is actually intended to vent pollution right into the air and that contains a bunch of carcinogens and neurotoxins. And this is a community that's already overburdened with pollutants, and they'd be getting burdened with even more. So there's the safety of explosions, there's the toxic air pollution, and then finally, there is the climate impact, which uh, the carbon emissions associated with this compressor, were it to go in, would um, enable the equivalent emissions of 1.1 million motor vehicles and that's about 45 percent of all the registered vehicles in massachusetts so it's a it's like a carbon bomb so that sounds uh pretty terrible why are they trying to build this what is this what is the purpose of this compressor so every like 40 to 100 miles these very high pressure transmission gas pipelines that are going across the country kind of like the interstate highway system but they need to push that gas every so often and so that it keeps going you know basically down the line so that's what compressor stations do and weymouth being on the coast is an indication of what they want to do with this they want to push it it's kind of the end of the line at the end of the coast and they want to push it across boston harbor and head it north into a a pipeline that goes up to canada where there's an export terminal so that they can load that gas, they can liquefy it, turn it into liquefied natural gas, 
put it on ships and then uh, send it out onto the global gas market, which is in a glut right now. So this isn't even going towards energy for Massachusetts residents. This is going towards like international energy supply. Yes, that's right. And in fact, the the only buyers, cu- corporate customers of this gas in Massachusetts recently just defected from it. So Eversource was the largest single um, what's called precedent agreement customer. They signed this four years ago, this agreement to buy the gas. And they just, WBUR broke a story a couple weeks ago that they basically said they don't need the compressor because they've already got enough gas. And also National Grid, the other big customer in Massachusetts, also said that they don't need the compressor to fulfill their gas needs for um, Massachusetts over the next 14 years. So there's no domestic reason for this. This is all to support the corporate profits of uh, Enbridge, which is based in Canada, and essentially a global, um, you know, market for gas. Okay, and so uh, one of the things I was reading on was that this used to be referred to by a different name, which was uh, the Spectra, Spectra Energy. That's right. So um, kind of midway through this five-year process, so this all started in like 2015, early 2015, and by, I think it was 2017, Enbridge bought out Spectra Energy. Um, so Enbridge is based in, in Canada. Spectra was based in Houston. But now it's the, the parent ownership is, is Enbridge. Okay. And uh, why is this allowed to be built with such a terrible safety uh, record um, where it seems like everyone, even the mayor of Weymouth, has spoken out against it. You were showing me some letters that were written, um, shared uh, from the mayor to Charlie Baker. Why has this been allowed to go on and be built when it seems like there's so many citizens against it? Yeah, it's 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 pretty incredible that this is actually going forward. It, it makes no sense on so many different levels, except for corporate profits and the capture of of officials who should be um, defending uh, the environment for Massachusetts, but are instead working on behalf of corporate entities. Um, so uh, that's the only thing that, you know, is the reason that this is going forward. It's kind of like that fable, the, the emperor's new clothing, <laughs> where everyone can look at this site. And when you tell people that they want to put a 7,700 horsepower uh, compressor that will periodically vent raw uncombusted gas right there next to all of those homes, daycare centers. Um, It just, it's, it's astounding um, that this is even, we're watching, you know, such a process go forward. It's, it's just uh, really quite amazing. (laughs) And uh, Nathan, I actually, I wanted to follow up with that. Because what Lauren was just saying, I mean, the Weymouth mayor opposes this, Quincy mayor opposes it, Braintree mayor opposes it, even Representative Stephen Lynch, who I have never agreed with him on a single topic, he opposes this, so does Ed Markey, so does the Attorney General. So when you say that there are officials that are letting this go through, how is this actually going through and who should be held responsible for it? Yeah, well, there's really just one official who is claiming not to be able to stop anything, and that's Governor Charlie Baker. Uh, so re- really, there's bipart- overwhelming bipartisan opposition to this, and that includes 
Um, the, the mayor of Weymouth is, I think, a Republican, uh, registered Republican. The state senator, Patrick O'Connor, is that represents Weymouth is is a Republican. Uh, so and and actually more Republican senators signed a letter uh, percentage wise opposing the compressor than even the Democrats did in the Massachusetts State Senate. So the the opposition is overwhelming and it's not partisan at all. It's just Charlie Baker who um, claims not to have any power uh, to do or say anything in opposition to the compressor. Um, I'm very concerned about the financial conflicts of interest, which I'm happy to talk about as well. I'm actually really curious about that as well. I did end up uh, reading an article by, who was it? It was uh, Itai Vardy, I might be messing up that name, about how uh, his former energy and environmental secretary ended up going to work for some consulting firm. Is that what you're referring to? Well, there's there's a wide range of conflicts of interest, financial conflicts of interest, uh, including but not limited to the one that you mentioned. So, um, you know, the one that kind of is just so obviously glaring to me is that the law firm that represents Enbridge, uh, their executives uh, donated $83,000 to Charlie Baker's campaign. So they're they're representing the applicant for this and simultaneously donating $83,000 to Baker's campaign. Um, the the uh, uh, environmental consultant TRC uh, companies based in Lowell, uh, that's the one that you made reference to just now, um, they work for Enbridge. Um, they're a consultant for Enbridge, and they donated somewhere around $30,000 to Governor Baker as well. So um, these conflicts of interest are, are pervasive. Um, you know, that's just one part of it. Uh, another part is Governor Baker is directly invested in fossil fuel companies, including ExxonMobil, which owns part of the pipeline that the Weymouth compressor would actually feed um, across Boston Harbor called the Maritimes and Northeast Pipeline. So has he made any statements at all regarding this uh, after being called out on it for, it seems like, years? Uh, he's consistently said that he has no role, he has no power to do anything, that it's a federal issue. Um, and that's manifestly incorrect. Uh, there were uh, about a half dozen state permits that needed to be passed and at every single one of them, there were ample opportunities for the safety, the health, and the environmental or climate issues to uh, have put a halt to the process. So it's not true that the Baker administration had no say or no agency in this process, but that's been his consistent line is not having any authority or any power or even a, an opinion. He's never even... He's never even said whether he thinks it's a good idea or not. Well, it's a good idea for his wallet. And I just want to say that for Charlie Baker to claim to have no ability to affect this and at the same time being able to do things like ban vapes and ban menthol cigarettes in one fell swoop, um, he clearly can do whatever he wants and does. So, uh, you know, that's just I, I call BS on that. I think everybody is um, in your organization yeah, as I well. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and every other elected official, uh, they I guess they could have made the same point as well. They could have said like, well, I can't do anything. I'm powerless. But n- no one else has. It's it's only been Governor Baker. So the question is, wh- why is he so special, especially powerless? Um, you know, in this matter. Well, sounds like he has a lot to profit for. And uh, speaking about uh, other ways of holding Charlie Baker accountable, was there anything that the House legislature could have done? Was there any bills that were being considered that maybe would have stopped something like this? Um, In the last session, there was a bill that would have um, really uh, uh, created a, a limitation on the building of compressor stations. Um, in Massachusetts, but that bill did not succeed in the last session. Um, in this session, at the well, um, there is a bill that would require uh, air monitoring, improved air monitoring, but that's a bit too, you know, too little, too late at this point. And at the federal level, Ed Markey has introduced a bill that would uh, basically deny compressors that are intended for export of gas rather than domestic use. But again, we're in a situation where construction may be actually starting tomorrow. So those uh, those are too little too late at this point. So basically, have all options to stop this been exhausted at this point? And, you know, we just watch this construction go forward and do nothing. What are What are people trying to do? to stop this at this point? Well, the thing that is so inspiring to me is I, I've moved from being kind of a, a, a scientist, a, you know, cheerleader kind of from the side for the opposition fracks, the Four River Residents Against the Compressor Station, uh, to becoming more actively involved and then finally becoming a, 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 part, a participant in a, an appeal hearing. But what I've found over these five years as I've gotten to know that community is that they they are resolute they are not backing down they are not giving up they'll never give up they're going to fight this um as long as it possibly takes and there's a couple things that um oddly enough i I know it may sound crazy but i i still think there's a pathway to win this thing uh for a couple of reasons one is that as i mentioned it's kind of like the emperor's new clothing that it's such an obviously a crazy place to be putting a compressor station. Uh, it's in a spotlight. It's right next to the Four River Bridge. Um, it's in such clear view of, of everyone, and it's 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 constrained. It's it's uh, kind of um, water locked, if you will, uh, with very limited egress and access. And so, um, you know, in terms of 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 kind of slowing down their attempt uh, to excavate uh, the coal ash, which is a toxic foundation on which the compressor would be built. They, they need to move 1,100 dump truck loads of toxic arsenic-laden coal ash out of that site. And I think that, um, I think that the public is, is in a position to do a lot to, to slow and impede uh, what I say, I call it an illegal um, process of of spreading uh, toxic material across the state. They want to truck 1,100 dump truck loads of arsenic-containing coal ash across Massachusetts into a landfill in Rochester, New Hampshire, 
as well as another landfill in Westminster, Massachusetts, which is close to Fitchburg. Uh, with, and there's no, there's, there's hardly any information. I think somewhere in their plan, they talk about putting a tarp on the trucks. Oh, geez. Uh, but, but this is toxic material. And uh, it, it, it's apparent that the state is not doing anything to protect the environment, protect the people of Massachusetts. So I actually think that it's incumbent now upon the people of Massachusetts to protect their own environment and, and slow and impede those dump trucks um, from getting out of that site and spreading that toxic material around. Are you talking about a blockade? Uh, you can call it a blockade, impede, slow, whatever. You know, I, I, I also think that science can play a role in sampling for arsenic that may come off of those trucks. Um, and to uh, provide as evidence um, that, you know, this is happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, preventing the spread of this toxic material is something that um, people should consider joining. I, I've put out on Twitter the routes that I think would probably be the ones that they would attempt to take. Uh, from the compressor site to Rochester, New Hampshire, the turn, uh, turnkey landfill. That happens to be the landfill that was uh, shipping PFAS-laden water to a Lowell water treatment plant that was in um, the Globe a few weeks ago. So, it's uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's really a one of the the real injustices in this whole thing is is moving this toxic material around and so you know i think it's it's fully justified to push back on that yeah it sounds like it is that something that you could see happening is that something that we're, we're going to be seeing soon and if so how can people support that well you know i'm i'm a I'm someone who gets around by bike usually, mm. uh, and uh, I, but you know I'm I'm aware of of uh, you know uh, how easily traffic is gridlocked yeah. um, and lawfully safely gridlocked, if you will, and I think that there can be safe and legal ways to um, to slow these trucks down to create um, congestion around these trucks. In fact, it'll make things safer because it'll reduce the chances of arsenic blowing and going airborne if they are slowed way down. Um, there's precedent for this. In fact, my friend Kanan in East Boston uh, did a podcast recently and shared with me the story of Mary Ellen Welch in East Boston uh, and the what they call the Maverick Mothers who basically blocked dump trucks in East Boston um, who were, that were going too fast and speeding related to the expansion of the Logan Airport. And so we know that uh, some of these tactics can actually be, uh, you know, effective. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's still, even though the state has kind of uh, washed its hands of this whole thing and abdicated its responsibility, um, there's still ways in which we can really, uh, you know, make it very hard for them to make any progress on this site. There's a couple other things. One, you know, I am one thing that gives me hope in this is a comment that uh, Sandra Steingraber, Dr. Sandra Steingraber, made when she visited Boston. She's been she's had a long history of of um, 
activism uh, in, in the environment, uh, pushing back against fracking in uh, New York. And they won a huge, huge battle in Seneca Lake to prevent a storage gas storage facility from going in there in upstate New York. But she told us that they all the permits had been granted and they it, it wasn't they they really started their campaign of nonviolent uh, peaceful resistance after all of those permits had been granted and they won. So even though all of the permits have been granted, I, I believe there's still a way to win. Well, I hope you're right. Um, you know, uh, so what they it's are we going to be seeing trucks go down there tomorrow and start digging? Is that is that kind of the set date or is the well, weather we going to affect it? We don't know. Yeah, we, we don't know. But I mean, and the, it is weather dependent. I, I understand there has been some sightings of uh, what what look like police and maybe private security yeah. down on the site uh, in the last day, even today. Um, you know, so we're all waiting and watching to see what happens. Um, but they did declare last week that they were going to start com- uh, construction tomorrow. That was what they said, and, and so um, we have to take it seriously, even if they don't actually show up. Um, but this is going to be a long, drawn-out process um, if it goes, and it's going to be contested uh, every single step of the way. So nothing is going to be easy uh, for them to make any progress. We're heading into winter. That's going to be a very tough situation for uh, you know, Enbridge and its uh, contractors to work in those conditions. And what we we really need, you know, is we need overwhelming numbers of people to say no to this. And if that happens, we can stop this compressor station. Um, it, it, it's uh, another uh, lesson that we've learned from successful um, actions and campaigns in the past is that overwhelming public rejection uh, can actually win. Um, you know, uh, it, it ultimately, uh, the regulatory and legal process that governed this was, was compromised in so many different ways. Um, and, and it's apparent that this is a political process. And uh, overwhelming public opposition uh, can essentially win the political battle. And so that's what we need right now. And I'm so thankful for you to be giving um, an opportunity for me to, to talk about this issue and that you're, you're raising the issue because we need more and more of that, especially here in the next you know, days and weeks. Well, we'll definitely be following it. Um, for our listeners out there and our viewers, the website that uh, you folks are organizing around is nocompressor.com. It looks like there's a mailing list there. People can join up to uh, see how they can support you. Um, are there any other ways that people can get in touch and organize and besides going down there? Um, or should they be going down there? Are there actions down there being planned, events, or anything? Well, yeah, so, so definitely go to nocompressor.com. There's a pledge form. You can add your name. The other thing you can do is, is talk to your neighbors and talk about what a bad idea it is um, and form affinity groups. Form in your own communities or the people you hang out with. You can form your own little group, and you can um, join with the opposition as it occurs on the site itself on occasion stay in touch with the frax people at nocompressor.com or 
you can go somewhere in Boston, like to the Department of Environmental Protection and tell them it's not okay. Or the governor's office, you can go to the state house uh, and, and, you know, get a group together and visit your legislators. You know, so there's a, a lot of things that can be done in a lot of different places to push back on the compressor. So tell Charlie Baker, <laughs> go over there, talk to him. We don't want this compressor. And if you can get to Weymouth, uh, go to nocompressor.com to join the fight against this uh, environmental disaster affecting Weymouth. Um, I know Evan might have some affinity groups. He Oh, absolutely. Uh, Boston DSA has been organizing around this for months and months. So if um, you'd like to come link up with us, I'm sure we have a lot of actions planned around this. And I know we went a little late, uh, Professor, but really, thank you so much for coming on. This was incredible. Yeah, this was really yeah, informative. Boston DSA... Boston DSA has been awesome. I'm so thankful for the support. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, and good luck. Okay, you too. Bye. And that was Professor Nathan Phillips of BU? Yes, I BU. believe so. And from the, uh, the nocompressor.com, uh, the F-R-R-A-C-S, for, it's kind of a long name, for River... Fark. Fark. Nah, for frax, frax. <laughs> I don't know how to say anything. But, I mean, th this is the stuff, though, that, ha that it just drives people crazy. I mean, like, I, I was reading stuff while I was speaking from the greater Boston physicians of social responsibility uh, saying the compression station, even by the data provided by the company itself, is likely to uh, worsen the health and safety of everyone already at risk. Yeah, there wasn't any reports that really made it look safe. Um, it just seems like Charlie Baker didn't really care to read them or ignore and, them. And I mean, one of the most I don't know, outlandish parts of that whole thing was, as he was uh, discussing, this is all about piping, I'll just call it energy, to other locations. It's not even like this is going to, the yeah. energy is being consumed by the people of Weymouth. And this, right. is, this is what you see in... Um, like any of our resource policies is like where the energy actually goes, the waste of that energy is always in like low income communities. They're putting this by the coast that has a history of flooding. What's going to happen two months from now when we have a high tide at the wrong time? Right. The dumbest, I don't want to curse this early in the show, the dumbest things imagined. Well, it's not dumb for the people making money on it. No, it, um, it's just mind boggling. Yeah, it's just uh, unfortunate that the people of Weymouth haven't been respected. Yet I would be, and they go out to meetings, and and yeah. this is why people kind of lose faith, and they say, why even bother voting? They show up at those board uh, room hearings that they plan at like eleven a.m. on these awkward days. They show up, nobody listens. There is representatives that say, yeah, nothing we can do. We don't know, and that's why I wanted him to like just to push a little bit and just be like, well, who could you actually direct this to? Because at the end of the day, this is being decided by people in the room. And oh, it's it sounds Baker. like the people in the room. Yeah, the rest of the people in the room are also against it. There's a huge list of people against it. It's just, uh, it's on, it's in Baker's hands, and uh, any sort of disaster will be in his hands too. Yeah, that's just horrible. Well, hopefully, um, enough people will organize because this is, no pun intended, a very toxic issue that nobody wants to touch. And so, if you do get enough people in the streets, and he was right, um, blockades have a very long history, especially in Boston, around like, no, 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 you are not going to bring toxic waste. And this is being planned by a school. That was even mentioned tonight. This this plant is going by a school. Oh, man. Really hope all the uh, parents in that area, and it's up to us to also um, organize with them. Be like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. You, like, you're just not doing this. 
Yeah, that's a huge risk. I hope that they stay safe, too. He mentioned private security being out there and, you know, uh, more police. Uh, I hope everyone stays face, stays safe and that uh, if anyone does get arrested, that the mass bail fund helps them out. Yeah, absolutely. We should link them up. And now, do you want to share more sad stories of renters? Do I have to? Yeah. I have to? Yeah. All right. We have, uh, before we take a quick break, we have a story from one of your local neighbors or former neighbors. One of my people? Well, not really your people, but they're from Haverhill. Oh, that's my people. Come on. Yeah, that's your people. Um, let's bring it up. Uh, you can tell me whether you think this is legal or not. So here's a Haverhill horror story. I'm going to say anonymous because I didn't get complete permission to use a name, but a uh, friend of the show. Anonymous moved from a one studio to a two-bedroom in the same building recently. New building, same slumlord. She had to pay last month's rent, then move out by November 15, but leave the electricity on and in her name in case new tenants wanted to move in early. The over, they overlap tenants there all the time to just make a bunch of extra money. Quote, I got the place dirty and unpainted because the first month I moved in, they said they couldn't have it cleaned and painted until the 20th, which means I paid a full month's rent to live there 10 days. But because I didn't let them swindle me in the beginning, now they're saying the walls are all messed up and they're pretty much just as gross as when I got them. I owe a thousand in damages and there are only two things wrong with the apartment. We didn't take photos when we moved into that because we were running from an even worse landlord. The good news is that she wasn't being evicted. He's just been causing problems with like overcharging for them to move to a sort of upgrade their apartment. And it's actually, uh, I'll, I'll definitely shout out the company. It's DNF Realty. So does that sound legal? No. Yeah, I know. So wait, why does she owe so much damages? Because it wasn't good when she got there. Because they never fixed it. And then they made her pay last month and move out early and keep the electricity on. Yeah, this is why you always take pictures. You always take pictures, and I think I said this last episode, but a landlord can't evict you from your home. Right. So bring in the judge. Yeah. Make them go through the process. Renters actually have a lot more rights than people think. Yeah. And in, in this case, it wasn't an eviction. It was just like being doubly charged just to move. Uh, sounded like a couple, an extra month's rent, um, though that's actually not a bad price for a month's rent for a studio. But it's Haverhill. Um, I'm going to say it's And, Averill. you know, having to move quickly and, you know, when you haven't received your full months of stay, you weren't able to stay there even though you paid for it and overlapping payments. It just sounds like there was all kinds of problems with that. So hopefully that she's settled in now and that uh, the landlords are treating her better. Hopefully she didn't have to pay all that extra money. And uh, always remember to take pictures. Always take pictures. Always take pictures. And also don't, uh, don't buy into the fear. Meaning if you think, oh, my God, I have to pay this right now. Yeah. What are no, they no, going to no. do? Kick you out? Like make, physically remove you? Make them sweat. Draw it out. What, what they are counting on is your naivete or your ignorance or your, your willingness to give the money and move on from it to try to pressure you into paying as much as possible right up front. Just take a breath. Make them sweat it out. They'll forget about it. And there's also there's a lot of uh, pen, like uh, laws around debt collection that no one follows, but if you actually follow the letter of the law, there's a great website, I'm going to look it up maybe at the break, where you can just kind of type in, this is how many times I've been contacted, this is how uh, frequent they visited me, and if it's in violation, lawyers will just help you just cancel it. Right, if you get called at your workplace, if yeah. a bunch this, of other things. This is all my way of saying, be a bad renter. If, if you're being screwed over, you don't, you don't have to be a nice person. Screw them back. Very good. 
All right. So uh, coming up next, I, th- I don't know. Should we take a break and then go into the strike? It's up to you. I'm ready to go into the strike. We can go into the strike. You want to do the strike? Let's do the strike. Okay. So if the Weymouth um, actions aren't enough for tomorrow, there's another big, big thing going down tomorrow, which is the Harvard Graduate Student Union is about to go on strike. And I haven't gotten a chance to check the papers today because I've been busy, but this will absolutely get national headlines that the prestigious Harvard University is having all of their graduate students go on strike right before finals. And so I conducted a little interview myself, not as well or as live as Lauren just (laughs) said, but over the phone with Eric, one of the um, leaders of the union from the uh, graduate school. So I'm looking over at my man, Herb. Herb, do we have the audio from the the interview we did? All right, so we're going to play that. Any tech issues, we're going to blame Lauren. Oh, yeah, it's all my fault. And then I think it goes maybe about nine or ten minutes, and then we'll pick it up afterwards with some thoughts. Answer any uh, questions in the chat that I'm just starting to look at now. And then, yeah, we'll take a break right after that. Sound good? All right. Oh, and I should have told you, start it like 20 seconds ahead. Or, or, you know, people can see a little behind the scenes. Of me crying because the phone isn't working. Okay. Oh, and then I'll play it tonight as we hopefully promote to try. No, to- no, that works. Okay, here you go. Hello. Oh, uh, hello, Eric. Hey. Yes. Hi. Um, is hey. now still a good time? Yeah. That's fantastic, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak to me. Yeah, uh, just um, very quickly, uh, just because I have some questions, because I certainly want to help promote the strike in any way that I can. Uh, do you have any questions about like who I am or? <laughs> uh, I think I, I can explain everything. All right, so. awesome. We can just hop right into it. So I'm actually recording this now, and then I'll play it tonight as we hopefully promote to try to get some people out to the action mall. Sound awesome. good? All right. Um, just starting from the top, would you mind just introducing yourself and what your role is in the site? Yeah. So my name's Eric Baker. Um, I'm a fourth year. PhD candidate in history science. Um, I've been organizing with our union uh, for the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, I am one of many people across campus who's been helping out, uh, spreading the word um, about the strike, talking to my colleagues and classmates in my department and in other departments, to local community supporters, other unions on and off campus local politicians, um, and just generally trying to raise awareness of the strike and to get all the logistics in place to um, ensure that we have the, the biggest impact that we can. That's awesome. Um, very briefly, would you mind explaining how the union was formed? It's my understanding that uh, this union is only a few years old, or even just graduate student unions, so the concept is only a few years old. Well, so there have been grad student unions at public universities for a couple of decades, but um, grad students, uh, workers at private universities um, have only been classified as workers by the National Labor Relations Board for the last few years. There have been some some back and forth in, in the status, and the NLRB is threatening to reverse that decision yet again. But in the window that is currently open, we voted for our union uh, in April of 2018. 
So, you know, majority of student workers came out and um, voted to, to form our, our union, um, which is affiliated with the United Auto Workers. So shortly after that, the administration agreed to start uh, the bargaining process, but the entire time it's gone very slow, and um, there have not really been any compromises made on the core issues that, that drove uh, Harvard student workers to form a union in the first place. So that's how we've gotten to where we are today. Right. And actually, uh, let's speak about those core issues, because I know you have a list of demands that you're helping to the university. So what are those demands? Yeah, so the three core issues that we're going on strike over are first and foremost compensation. Uh, we're living in one of the most expensive areas in the United States and um, getting paid uh, very little for the, the bullshit work that we're doing. Um, and that's especially compounded for students who are parents, for students who are uh, trying to start families, uh, for students who have various kinds of chronic medical concerns. Um, so the point is that you know, they, they keep saying that we're you know, students first and workers second, and our response is, well, if, if you think that that's true, then you, know, you should be giving us the, the compensation that we need in order to you know, actually prioritize our academic work instead of as many of us do and taking on second and, and third jobs to meet with me. Um, the second is the, uh, the cost and uh, accessibility of healthcare, especially um, the accessibility of mental health care, which is the most pervasive health uh, concern among graduate students, um, as well as the cost of health care, again, especially for dependents for, for spouses and children and uh, to, we want to end restrictions that have in place on um, the number of uh, sessions that you can access for chronic health concerns. Um, so then the idea is, you know, this is, this is the richest university in the world and yet if they, you are not able um, on a insurance plan to just go to weekly therapy, um, which seems kind of um, unbelievable. And then lastly, one of the most important issues going back to our union election has been the pervasiveness of uh, harassment and discrimination on campus. And there's been a number of high-profile incidents of professors on campus, like Dunamy, powerful male figures across our country who have been wielding their power as um, bosses and supervisors um, to abuse, harass, discriminate against uh, graduate students and um, the existing in-house Harvard system has has proven inadequate. Um, these cases have either been swept under the rug, or you know, minor sanctions have been handed down, or in general, a blind eye has been systematically turned towards these cases for decades. So we're saying, in our contract, we need to have harassment and discrimination protections. Those have to be prohibited, and those provisions need to be enforceable. The same mechanism that enforces the rest of the contract. So we want to be able to take these cases before a neutral third-party independent arbitrator who has the power to say, you know, if, if, to make a finding that uh, uh, harassing or discriminating workplace um, is occurring, and to um, uh, to be able to recommend um, or even mandate changes to a student worker out of that, um, that unsafe workplace. But Harvard is saying, um, for, these, for these cases,
agreements for harassment and discrimination, you can put them in the contract, but we want them to be enforceable through the same mechanism. Um, so, you know, if you bring a harassment uh, discrimination complaint, you actually still have to go through the same in-house mechanism, um, except because of the, the Title IX process for sexual harassment is inadequate, and there actually is no existing Title IX analog for cases of discrimination on the basis of race or um, nationality, et cetera. So um, the students in those positions are completely stranded. We want to ensure that um, we have robust union protections, like some of the workers at McDonald's, um, uh, places like the um, well, <laughs> that's why I said it's going to be your fault if the audio sucks. <laughs> oh no, no, no! That we can blame we can blame the cell phone companies for that. Um, he actually had a lot of great points about all their demands, which I really would have loved to hear. Not all chopped up with poor service. Uh, always stand on top of a building next time you do a phone interview. I'm not standing on top wind, of the building, or at least up on the highest floor of your wherever you may be, but not outside because then there's a lot of wind. But that's okay. It's his first time. Yeah, I'm getting uh, new to this. You guys can be gentle, but I won't. Um, I wanted us to come back with uh, pretend bandages on. Yeah, no, well, you'll get those later. Um. <laughs> but um, so, luckily, I have an incredible memory, so I can. Um, I'm going to reiterate everything I said. But Eric, I do really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. So I'm going to be able to voice it right now. And luckily enough, the Globe also did report on this. I mean, even though it was on like page thirty. But so the Harvard Graduate Student Union is going to go on strike official tomorrow. Talks were today, and they just broke down because I was curious if they were going to end up having a resolution. So they have three different demands. One is compensation because the graduate students, they're not just students. They also work, and they actually like are part-time or sometimes full-time employees for the university. And so they actually do a lot of functions, and they want a pay increase. Because I don't know if you know this, Lauren, it costs a lot of money to live around Cambridge. Oh, really? Yeah, it does. So um, that's one of their major points. The second is healthcare, And this is to expand what they're currently offering and making sure that it's more affordable, especially around mental health. Something he was telling me is that they're only allowed X amount of mental health appointments, which if you can imagine having like a health insurance, but then them saying, well, yeah, but like we, we don't really think you need to have your cancer treatment like every week. You can just do it like every other. We think that's fair. So like having an administration dictate the type of medical care you receive is absolutely banana land. Right. And this is one of the larger points about Medicare for all is because every union, whenever they negotiate, they have to negotiate health prices. And so if you take that off the table, it removes a huge leverage point that corporations, or in this case, a private university, has over you. And that was one of the first things they did when um, General Motors went on strike, was they took away the health insurance of all the uh, people who went on strike and their family members. Right. And they took so much flack for it that they ended up having to reverse it. But their second point is for health insurance. And the third point, whatever we're just going into at the end, when we decided that I did such a bad job, I'm just going to repeat it for you, was about sexual harassment. And a lot of Harvard and a lot of different universities use this, is if you have a sexual harassment claim on like a professor or a staff member, they handle it internally. Right. Which, I mean, a fifth grader would be able to tell you that you shouldn't have someone's like colleagues and friends of 20 years be the people to handle it. And then obviously... 
if you're handling it internally, you have a bias, you have a motivation to make sure this doesn't become a big thing because it's going to impact your university. So one of the major demands of the graduate students is to have a third party be an arbitrator. And is that the criminal justice system? Are we talking about like criminal offenses? Or are we talking about like... You, you would hire like a... I mean, it, it could go through uh, what would be like the quote unquote... Oh, we good? I'm going to just continue speaking. My hair looks... Oh, perfect. That was weird. Maybe it's the snow piling up around could us. Be. So um, it could be through the criminal justice system, but generally it would be like you would hire a law firm to conduct this. Okay. And now Harvard's counter to that is to say, if you do that, though, that could open up the victim to cross-examination. Which there's actually a lot of protections around when victims come forward to make it so they don't have to go through cross-examination because that can be such an emotional burden that some people who have gone through it are just like, forget this. I'd rather not press charges. I don't want to go through this. And But what Harvard's not telling you, and this is something that Erica was speaking to me about, was that that would be Harvard's decision. So Harvard is basically saying, oh, you don't want to do that because we're going to then pressure all the victims and make them go through cross-examination to scare them. Right. That is like the subliminal threat. That's what Harvard's claiming they are going to have to do if they don't keep it internal. Yeah, Harvard's Harvard's saying, oh, you don't want to do that because then it'd be cross-examination, but then it would be up to the Harvard administration to decide to cross-examinate. Right. So they're basically saying, oh, no, no, we will make a 17-year-old undergrad go through absolute hell and drag it through it. So you probably don't want to do this, which, again, is just horrifying. And... And that seems to be one of the major issues that is coming up in media coverage of this strike or coming up in what I'm seeing people talk about with this strike is that that's one of like, I don't know, um, sort of the big public points. I know that there's some issues like grad students don't get dental or something and some other health care issues like you brought up. But uh, it's like Title IX is the one we're talking about, some Title IX anti-discrimination, anti-sexual harassment stuff. Yes. People keep th- bringing up in all their videos and everything. That is the process of sexual harassment. Right. So and- it's, I guess, what do, what do you think is the most important demand? Pay raise? I'm not going to say any of them are less important because they, because now you enter into like um, what is more uh, important for me. So let's just say if I'm a victim of sexual assault, yeah, that's going to be a big issue for me. Or if I have a lot of medical uh, needs, like, no, 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 I need you to cover these. That's my most important issue. So well, what do you think Harvard has the most problem with? They have the most problem with the sexual harassment. Right. And, and that's why, as you were just saying, and I'm hoping, even though this is so, so uh, naive of me to hope, that anyone who's reporting on this, like Boston Globe, I will fully read you word for word once we're off air. If you are citing that Harvard is saying this will subject victims to cross-examination and you don't immediately clarify that that would be Harvard's choice to cross-examinate, you are not doing your job. You're pathetic and a horrible human being. But I, I haven't read you yet. It's the Globe. I'm, but I, um, I, haven't, I haven't read this person yet. Okay. So you know what? I'm not going to yell at somebody or get them in trouble with something they didn't do. I'm just saying if you don't immediately qualify that, I'm not expecting you to have, like, you know, to go out there and actually question the person back. That's something that I would do. That's why I'm not allowed on the Boston Globe editorial staff. But you should at least put that in your piece. But, you know, we'll see. I'll give an update next week whether or not you do. And a larger point that we discussed was Harvard's endowment because they are a nonprofit. Do you want to guess how much money does Harvard have in the bank? Millions. 
Oh, way more. Keep going. What's the biggest number you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, they don't have a billion. 40.1 billion. Are you we, serious? 40 point, could be two. 40 point, we'll That's call so it much 40 money. billion dollar endowment. They can afford to pay for people's health care. They could afford to pay for all of our health care in Massachusetts. <laughs> And somebody went on Fox News recently because there was a halftime protest, which I'm going to get to in a moment, saying that, oh, no, like, we can't, you can't raise uh, the wages of graduate students like, because Harvard gives scholarships. Now they won't be able to give scholarships. $40 billion. Which brings me to the second point, which was the Harvard versus Yale game that we discussed. So Harvard versus Yale has football teams. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a graduate of Harvard. Other than that, I could play for the football teams. They're not that good. <laughs> if anyone's listening and you're a fan, I apologize. You are a great athlete. I hope you make it. But anyway, during the halftime of both Harvard and Yale, both schools um, in coordination with one another kind of charged the field and they uh, conducted a protest during halftime about their endowments. So Harvard is the wealthiest university in the country. And then I think it's, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tufts is the second, but Yale's up there. And what they were protesting was how um, Harvard invests their money. So Harvard invests their money in ExxonMobil, in the right. oil industry, and then also in hedge funds, which profit off of Puerto Rico's debt. And so that got national attention that these Ivy League kids were interrupting, which was, again, just halftime, um, a football game, but talking about how Harvard spends its money. So that was a side point. And those were the main issues they were bringing up, not the vast amount of property Harvard's buying and other i mean there's a lot of bad ways i feel like harvard spends its money that's, but like, <laughs> that's true but i mean if you're going to highlight the fact that their endowment is still um funding the fossil fuel industry okay and making life abs strike. absolutely horrible for the people of puerto rico okay. i'm fine with that okay. you, you don't have to give every take all the time that's okay okay even though i may i might have mentioned it but that's okay they're, they're only grad students were they was this part of the climate strike movement um i can't can tell you that up yeah. anybody knows call in or comment Sounds like it could be. If that's I can't tell you, I, I know the captain of the Harvard team. Uh, he did like a thing, like in support of it. So like cool. the players knew, uh, the fans knew, and it was awesome. But quickly getting back to the strike. So they had last minute's talks today for their three positions. Harvard is saying, "Oh, we just can't pay for this stuff," which is again laughable. But their big point is they don't want third party um, sexual harassment arbitration because then some of our faves are going to be taken down. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, they're sick of that. They don't like bad publicity over there. And so what will end up happening is they are going on strike right around finals to hopefully put additional pressure on the administration and the tenured professors who might be a little bit more aligned with keeping things calm and comfy. And if you want to support them, I believe starting at 8 a.m., maybe 9 a.m. tomorrow is going to be their first strike. So head to Harvard. You will hear the noise. There's, Rise and shine. There's going to be hundreds of kids. And um, I know Boston canceled school tomorrow. Somerville did too. Oh. And so at first I was worried that the weather would work against them. But if it's a snow day, those high school kids are going to come up. So if you want to be in an incredible environment of solidarity, if you've never been to a strike, if you've never been, walked a picket line, this is like the best entry you could possibly do. It's going to be, again, a bunch of graduate students, college students, high school students. I'm going to try to swing by. Let's see if my work is or is not canceled for tomorrow. I might try to swing by. And, and they will be picketing every day, all day, 
until the end of finals. So bake them cookies, bring them snacks. Yep. Um, college kids love snacks. Everyone yep. loves snacks. Uh, a little insider tip. Everyone's going to flood with like coffee and food for the first three days. Right. You want to show up on day four with that box of Joe. That's like the hero move. But really, um, show solidarity. This is going to get national attention. We want to embarrass institutions like Harvard because if it can happen at Harvard, it can happen anywhere. And the graduate students absolutely deserve more pay. They absolutely uh, deserve lessening the rising cost of health care. And they absolutely need to have third-party ar- arbitration for sexual harassment. That sounds like, yeah. A, yeah, I hope they get what they want. Um, and I hope we find time to make it out there. I'd like to get some video and do some live interview, too. And if you're going to be watching the podcast later, I'm going to hand-wash the audio. So maybe the... Uh, the interview will work as a uh, little bonus treat. But Eric, thank you so much for doing that. That was awesome. And yeah. Well, thank you for chasing down grad students to do that. Oh, my the- pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. Like, did you talk to them yet? Did you talk to them that yet? And then uh, in the final hour, he got something. And uh, it's a good thing you remember what he said. So yeah, we totally stand in solidarity with the Harvard grad student strike. And uh, we'll be tr- I'll be trying to make it out there just because I enjoy a good protest and take some video and talk to some people. Maybe bring some snacks on day four, as Evan suggested. Um, and we hope that they get all their demands met in that Harvard caves and they come to some sort of agreement. I know winter break's coming up though. So, Well, that's why they planned it right around finals, which yeah. is smart. Yeah. And nine 30, you feeling like taking a break? Yeah, sure. All right. Wanna... All right, we're going to take a break. We might come back. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see if the tech holds up. Um, but, yeah, we're Renters Radio. Uh, we just had some great guests. We heard from Professor Nathan Phillips from the uh, anti-Weymouth compressor movement, which also major action start tomorrow. And we heard from Eric. The robot. Eric the robot because the audio oh yeah yeah Herb was... got it thank you Herb <laughs> God um, yeah Eric the robot um, don't hate me uh, in support of the Harvard strike which also starts tomorrow we've got a few other things to cover when we get back uh, we've got some sexy taxes oh there is something to be excited for yeah let's take a break and come back to some sexy taxes yep you get to hear Marty Walsh oh. entering the hot tub Ew. of what is the sexy tax experience then Howie Carr might be making an appearance, too. We'll see how I feel. We'll see how I feel now. All right. We'll be back soon. All right. Back in a bit. This shit don't stop. We're live, back for our second half of Renters Radio Boston. Uh, we just covered some pretty amazing topics in the first half, so check them out. Uh, we had a great interview with uh, Professor Nathan Phillips about the Weymouth compressor and the actions against it, um, as well as a sort of technically... Eric the Robot. Eric the Robot uh, from the Harvard Graduate Students Union uh, speaking on the strike and then Evan filling in the blanks there, which we are in total support of as well. But now we're going to move on to some more, I don't know, fun topics. 
want to call them that? Some more sexy topics. Some more sexy topics. And by that, we mean sexy taxes round two. Oh, here we go. And it wasn't my intention to do this. I I hesitated on doing the first sexy taxes last week because I thought, all right, DeLeo punted. No one's going to remember this. But I figured, all right, everyone, like, they had their say. We'll get the last word in. Our audience will be primed, ready to go for 2020 when they have to actually decide how they're going to pay for the MBTA um, improvements. And then somebody brought to my attention that Marty Walsh had an interview on the same topic. So I couldn't help myself. I had to listen to what was Marty Walsh's views on how we should fund the MBTA. And for the audience to remember, I said there's two big divides. There's all the politicians and the lamestream media, as we'll call them, that are just talking about a gas tax and congestion pricing. No one's talking about taxing corporations or taxing uh, the millionaire class of Massachusetts. So, Lauren, you have not listened to this audio, right? No, I have not. What do you think Marty uh, is going to pitch we do? What bold idea do you think Marty is going to pitch for us? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that it's not actually a bold idea. And you're going to hear the word bold said maybe 17 times in these segments, and I cut around a lot of it. I don't know what agency he hired to say, whatever you do, just keep saying bold, bold, bold. I mean, there was then an article in um, Boston.com. Marty Walsh has a bold idea to improve traffic congestion. So I don't know what's going on. But um, Herb, do you have the clips loaded up? Can you play the bit labeled culture? You're talking about, of all of us. Is that what's sort of making, I get the sense that Beacon Hill is nervous about going bold. I mean, the the speaker just called off a debate he's been planning for months about transportation this fall and said, we'll put it off till next year. The governor doesn't seem to be talking. He's he's bold in terms of trying to fix the T, but he's not bold in some of these other measures. What's your assessment? My boldness is... We probably, if if the total, let's assume commuter rail, transportation, roads and bridges, and the inner core of the MBTA. Let's, let's, I'm just, this is not a figure, but let's assume the figure is hypothetically $40 billion, hypothetically. You're not going to solve that problem in the next 10 years with a increase of a gas tax. And we have to think about how do we how do we get bigger than that? We, I'm supporting a ballot initiative. We filed the ballot initiative that will would allow us to regionally raise money. And you'd have to explain to the voters of Massachusetts that if we if we raise some tax somewhere or some 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 amount of money somewhere, that that money would be dedicated towards the 50 million hypothetically 50 billion dollar investment in transportation. That's bold. And over the course of the next 10 to 20 years, we could upgrade all of our systems to deal with not just traffic, but it's actually moving people around. Now, cars aren't going to leave the road. Um, bicyclists aren't going to leave the road. People are going to take different modes of transportation. But making it that, that we can have a better infrastructure system for bikes, having making sure we have rapid bus systems that moves people along, it's about moving people. Uh, people today, when you think about individual mindsets, we jokingly said off the, off the air, here we're talking about the iPhone. The iPhone is about information, and people want information to meet. Okay. So in that segment, and I'm actually glad you played the bold one because I played into my joke of saying <laughs> yeah. that you're going to hear that so much in this interview. Right there in that one segment, it sounded like Marty was skeptical on the gas tax. 
Yeah. Because he said in it, you're not going to pay for all this with the gas tax. And so later on in this clip, and it's easier if I just jump to it, he brings up how Los Angeles is really bold. Because do you know what Los Angeles did in 2016? They passed a, not a gas tax, not a congestion tax, but they raised their sales tax oh. in order to pay for all of their improvements. And so they put it to the people and they said, if we, uh, an extra half a cent for your sales tax over 40 years, we can raise $120 billion because Los Angeles has a lot more people than we do. But that's how they decided to raise it. And, and the people of Los Angeles actually supported it. But a sales tax, very similar to uh, a gas tax, similar to congestion pricing, it hits disproportionately the working class. Because every penny and a half that somebody who is in the working class makes, they spend. And that means that if you raise the prices on anything, it actually impacts their wallet. Right. And so in a bubble, I'm not opposed to sales tax. In a bubble, I'm not even that opposed to a gas tax or congestion pricing. But if we are going to talk about bold ideas, if that's the name of the segment they want to do, just asking the working class to pay for all these improvements is a horrible way to go when you're not also asking corporations to do their thing. Now, before we go to Marty's uh, next two segments, and I, so the next one we'll do culture, because that to me is, that one just gets me pretty Marty Walsh, culture, culture, culture. <laughs> that one gets me pretty irritated. But before we talk about that, right now, as we talked about, they punted on the budget. The big sticking point, I just learned this today, of why the House and the Senate did not pass the budget was because of a disagreement over corporate taxes. The Mass Senate does not want a specific amendment that DeLeo and the House do. Now, do you think this, this, uh, what DeLeo is supporting is going to raise the tax on corporations? Or do you think at right now, at a time when everyone agrees that we need to raise more money for public schools, that we need to raise more money for the MBTA, they're actually looking to cut taxes for corporations? What do you think DeLeo wants well, it's to DeLeo. So I'm pretty sure you know, uh, which way he's going to go with that regard. But Yeah, so the big disagreement is over... Almost forty million million. Got to make sure I use the right uh, letters here. Forty million dollars a year corporate tax cut. So the reason that the House and the Senate, because you got to blame both, because uh, two to tango. The reason they did not pass a budget yet was because the House wants to cut taxes for corporations. Again, at a time when all you're hearing and reading about is we need to raise taxes on working class people, our actual representatives, as we talked about before, with the least transparent. Um, public congress in the country they're trying to right now cut taxes for corporations yeah uh is that just to stop the budget is that something they're just doing to stop people from agreeing to it because that sounds ridiculous that's actually that's some good three-dimensional chess right there you put something in that you know the senate's not going to pass and then it does give uh charlie baker a lot more power over what happens a lot more power to ignore there you go. Lauren, doing go- anything lauren's going into that deep deep state mindset yeah. that's good you only get that through years of the hacker wars yeah. that was good but Again, um, Marty Walsh's bold idea, but he has some ideas about culture. Herb, do you got the culture <laughs> one? Lay it on us. Went on to say that, that, that it kind of the problem sort of starts almost with personal habits of all the big honchos in the state. They start with the governor, the speaker. Yeah. They tell us where the Senate president, how she I, I commutes know. by her car, and the mayor itself. I don't, I don't so. know. Yeah, that is. That, that's, that's, uh, I don't think that was, that, that piece of the story. I, I, yeah, I, I agree with, um, you know, we are very codependent in some cases here in, in Massachusetts, probably not as codependent as in L.A. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. 
um, because we, we do, we're a smaller city. Um, I think the culture in Boston is starting to change and has changed over the last five, ten years here. We are, we are wearing more bikes, more people are walking, um, more people, uh, I mean, I wish more people would take public transit. I think a lot of people have lost some confidence in the system. So we, have, think? To, we <laughs> have to bring, we have to pull that, pull that confidence back into the system. Um, and you do that by investments. Um, you know, uh, two, two examples. One is whenever I don't go that often, when I go to New York city, um, I walk around New York city. I don't take a cab. I don't take the train. I don't take an Uber. I don't take any of that. I walk cause I, I want to like experience. I just love it. In Boston, if somebody's going from here, we're at 11 Beacon today, from 11 Beacon to say, um, I don't know, um, Copley Square, um, we would hop in a cab. When in fact, it's it's probably a seven minute walk, if you will. Walk to the common, beautiful walk through public garden near Copley Square. Um, we have to get that mindset a little more of a city that does that. And I think that we're kind of out of that that mindset here. We got to get more into that. I'm seeing more and more of it every day. Um, you know, that, that's one example. So that's an example of walking. Um, the other example is, is making the investment. Okay. This is the stuff that I, like, I get flustered because I tend to lose it. So I listen to arguments from everyone. I, I talk to my normie friends who don't care about politics. I listen to people on the right. I listen to people on the left. But every now and then I hear arguments about stuff that I'm just not prepared for. Yeah. So when someone starts talking about like why we don't have more use of public transportation and they say it's a cultural issue that the people of Boston are just culturally more of car people. I don't know how to instantly respond to that. Yeah. I have to pause. Yeah. I also was taken aback by the fact that he thinks in New York city is a more walkable city than Boston. When I don't know anyone in Boston who takes a cab and in New York city, I've taken the cab plenty of times. Like where is, where is he coming from with this? That does, that's the backwards I mean, so th- this always goes into um, what's going to be a class-based thing, which as he just – he gave an example of he would call a cab for a seven-minute walk. Yeah, no, nobody does that. <laughs> I mean, you do if you have a certain amount of money, and that's what yeah. you're used to. And maybe because he's now traveling, he wants to, like, see the buildings. Like, that makes sense. But that doesn't mean that the people of Boston or people of Massachusetts are just innately car people. It's because New York City is a grid city, and their public transportation is infinitely better, and it runs vertically and horizontally. Right. So anyone can just be like, oh, I want to head up, or I want right. to head down. Here in Boston, you have to know where the stops are, because our T system is at like diagonal angles. You have to know <laughs> where you are in proximity to downtown. Am I going Inbound in and outbound. So it's because we have an alienated, underinvested public transportation system. That is why people don't rely on it. It is, I've never in my life heard Boston a car people. No, I don't have a car. And you hear that about like Detroit or yeah. like people in the Midwest. Oh, LA is definitely car people. Yeah. I'm surprised they're investing in their public transportation because it seems like nobody used it when I was out there. There's actually um, a long history of the gutting of, actually, um, you know the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Y- yeah. So it, it like is a prelude talking about the gutting of uh, L.A.'s public transportation. It, it, it is. It, like they mention it in it very loosely, but the writers put it in about the gutting of the public transportation system that turned L.A. into a car city. But it's not cultural. Right. It's all material or infrastructure. L.A. is a culturally a car city. It's, it, it's not Ca- culture. It's just the actual layout of the city yes. makes it so you have to drive. You have to drive. But, but that's not a culture. It's not like they have a great public transportation right. system. And they're like, nah, man, we're car people. We're doing it. Yeah. Well, I think that anybody would choose to not spend money on gas. And Yeah, it's a lot more yeah. free. But those yeah. are the type of arguments that I hear sometimes, and then I just don't know what to say. 
because I'm just so unprepared for that level of an argument that would we're, we're, we're how can Boston meet car people when our I, roads are so terrible? I don't, yeah, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense on a lot of different levels. But um, before we finish up with Marty, we do have to get him on the record about a gas tax because the first clip we played, he was a little bit hesitant on it. So while we gear up for this fight, we do need to hear Marty Walsh. Do you support the gas tax? Future of Boston whether it's the growth we're experiencing today or the sustainability long term i mean i need we we need a revenue source we need we need to figure it out that's why you know i support i support the uh, increase of the gas tax when i was a legislator i voted for the increase of the gas tax the voters of massachusetts voted it down uh, a gallon of gas in la is four dollars and 65 cents a gallon wow all right so i mean it's, it's reality i mean it's a true reality and there's more cars driving in la than boston i mean i know, I know we're supposedly the worst city in america for traffic but I don't know. I mean, I was in the car out there. It's pretty, not, not that much, not, it's not no better, I'll tell you that. Um, so so I, I, when I talk about being bold, I think, you know, p- putting off, um, you know, trying to get to an agreement, I think that w- the legislators need to think about, again, it's about the impacts. Um, their job, and I was there, and I loved it, is to, um, to work on legislation, laws that affect people in Massachusetts. The biggest piece of legislation they have a y- every year is the budget. In that budget, they have they have to deal with um, issues around there, such as um, you know they have issues on healthcare, they have issues on pensions, they have issues on funding programs. They also have issues in order to get more revenue into that budget. Uh, it's about growth in the Commonwealth, not just growth in Boston. Growth in the Commonwealth. So the more companies that come here, the more growth you're going to have, the more income tax you're going to have, the more money you're going to have to spend on the programs you want to spend. If we don't make a serious investment in transportation, then companies are going to stop. People are going to say, well, why would I go there? Maybe I can go to West Coast or somewhere else and make and go there because I can get around better. I don't need a car. I can move people around. That's why I think we need to make the investment today up front because it is about the growth of, this, of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the growth of Boston. It's not just, I mean, I'm not in charge of the Commonwealth, but if I were the governor, I know the governor thinks this way, I think, as well. You know, how do you, bring, how do you attract new industry to our state? You don't want to be states to the south of us that, that are losing industry every day. And, and you know, the governor of Rhode Island's working really hard to try and bring that state back. And the governor of Connecticut lost a lot. But it, So to do all this stuff, you have to make a case to the people. And I think if you make a case to the people, I think they'll understand. I think they'll support it. Okay. So we have them on the record for supporting the gas tax. I let that go a little bit longer because that was actually the first time I caught it. Is again, he's preparing us for we're going to have some corporate tax cuts, because the the second you ever hear a politician start talking about we need to attract businesses, right? Then because it is, and this is the same because talk, we have such a problem with that already in Boston. And this is the same talking point that they've been using for fifty, sixty years: is we have to cut the taxes of corporations because then they're going to want to move here. In the, I think I said this last week. We already have one of the lowest in the country. Right. That doesn't stop Gillette from right now thinking about closing. That didn't stop GE from deciding not to come here. There are such larger forces. If we raised our corporate tax rate, that is going to be such a small amount of money compared to the cost of a corporation leaving that they stay. It is complete BS that if you raise the corporate tax rate, they leave because it is so expensive for a corporation to relocate. It is not because of the taxes. And as even the business council, whatever that fake thing they have, even they were saying you need to find a way to increase your public transportation. They're not going to Rhode Island. They're not going to Connecticut. They're not going to New Hampshire. They're not going to Vermont. They're not going to Maine because they don't have a public transportation system. We at least have that infrastructure. Yeah, the workforce is here. Exactly. We got workers here. We got. 
And so the mm-hmm. moment you start hearing uh, any politician start saying about attracting corporations, just get ready for them now saying, and that's why we have to cut taxes for corporations. Right. And please don't look at my um, donations to try to match if any corporations give me money. Please, nobody Google that online. But okay, we have Marty for the gas tax. And now here's why I like to talk about sexy taxes a lot. It, because we already discussed how the globe, I haven't read a single thing about anyone talking about we're just raising money on corporations or raising money on the rich. But there are other people talking about this besides us. Right. This is the scary part. And we mentioned his name last week. Howie Carr. Oh, God. Can you quickly talk about who Howie Carr is? Howie Carr is a longtime blowhard uh, radio talk show host that um, is a big fan of Marty. And he's pretty right wing. He wrote a um, book on Donald Trump, too. He wrote a book on Donald Trump. Uh, Puts his foot in his mouth on like a weekly basis, daily basis. I don't know how often his show's on. I don't know how often he writes stuff, but I, I don't know why you're subjecting yourself to reading it because it kind of just makes me upset. So the, um, I loosely listen to – so he, I, he has a radio program. I think it's like three or four hours. Reaches millions of people. Right. When he publishes his book, Donald Trump retweeted it, which is like the gold star for these people of like authenticity. And again, his reach is out there. He had a column in the Herald yesterday talking about gas taxes and how horrible they are. And the reason why you you see this wave of right-wing populism is because they are speaking to this anger, which is, again, the same thing that we're speaking to, which is you should not be overburdening the working class at a time of insane alienation and neoliberal policies. And if, again, the liberal media isn't speaking to that, these people get sucked up in people like Howie Carr. right. Which is dangerous, which is why you have to keep listening to Renters Radio so yeah. that we can take what is an authentic, righteous anger, put it in a political framework so you don't become an incel and shoot up a bunch of people who, who have a darkest skin tone than or you. Or start going we to street pride that. parades and marching but in them. Or... And he outlines it. Uh, so he talks about something called the Transportation Climate Initiative, which we have not discussed yet. What it is is all of the states in New England, uh, maybe Connecticut's not a part of it, is they are trying to all together do these initiatives. We're all going to do carbon pricing. We're all going to maybe pass a gas tax at the same time to try to cut down on corporations pinning one against the other. And so that's where he spends a lot of his time, but he also highlights the angry voices of what a gas tax would, would be. But again, in this weird language, so the woke crowd thought they could flood this website with their usual NPR-type nonsense from <laughs> nonprofits like this one. Jurisdictions have, I don't know why I'm doing these voices, <laughs> jurisdictions have de- designed a work plan with the goal of developing a policy that accelerates the transition to a low-carbon transportation future and delivers a better, clever, more resilient transportation system. That's his way of kind of like mocking who, I mean, whoever just submitted that, like don't talk like that to, no, to normal people. But Yeah. And again, so now we need more stakeholders contributing contrary viewpoints before this latest stealth attack on taxpayers is publicly rolled out by the friends of Al Gore and Greta Thunberg. What I because say. they're friends. Well, uh, so th- those are just buzzwords. Yeah. Like, it's meant to signify to the audience, you should agree with me and hate this. And now I'm just going to list two people that you probably hate. So Al Gore, again, again with Greta Thunberg. They seem to like bringing up high school yeah. girls for some reason. It's a little interesting. For obvious reasons, the hacks don't want you to find out about this site for comments. Because, again, like, he's speaking to something which people are feeling, which is, please don't give me a gas tax. 
if the only thing that these quote unquote nonprofits, as he calls them, is saying is like, no, this would be good for the environment. It creates that contrast of I don't want to listen to people telling me this is good for the environment because you're physically hurting me and my family. And then they take this anger and they drive it to cuckoo land. Right. And my reason for mentioning him, and I'm, I'm probably going to end up clipping some of his stuff because it is interesting to I listen to. I mean, his to. take on the language that they use on NPR is pretty spot on. I, I'll no, give no. him that because that stuff makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit too sometimes. Like, just like break it down the way we do here on Renters Radio. Yeah, and, and he does. And, that, and the right is very good at that. Tucker Carlson is incredible at that on Fox News. Rush Limbaugh basically created this in the 90s. <laughs> and it's, it's speaking to that that feeling of this doesn't feel right because it's hurting me. And then you just lean into it and then you just enter this spiral. Yeah. So we will continue to read and listen to Howie. You can. I'm gonna, I will. I'm going to continue to bash the Boston Globe every second I get because if you don't have anyone talking about this, about this very legitimate feeling, then guess what? People are going to go to Howie Carr, Rush Limbaugh, Tucker Carlson, Daily Wire, or was it Daily Beast, and just 4chan, 8chan, and just you just go down this path. Alex Jones. If you can find him, because he was de- successfully deplatformed. Right. But no, you have to speak to people's anger. You have to, and, and that's how Marty ended that clip, was tell people the story. And this is something that, now I'm going to brag about the socialists, this is what we do, is we don't talk about the jargon, is we just tell you a very simple story, and that's that there are Rich people who don't care about you, they only care about making money. And that is why things suck right now. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My boss does suck. My sounds, landlord does suck. Sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> it's not because of immigrants. It's not because of the Jewish population. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Right. It's just about the hierarchies of material. And that's it. Class conflict. And that is my, what I'm hoping is the last segment of Sexy Taxes for 2019. We will be back. We will get back in the hot tub. <laughs> the sauna is being primed. Marty Walsh is uh, invited to the Sexy Taxes segment if he wants to come on the show. And uh... I mean, I, I looked up his name on the thing. Hold on. What was it? Uh, Anthony uh, Wheeler. And, and it, so he was bringing up, I was making fun of Spotlight's top 10 because one of their top 10 of why is traffic so bad in Boston was because, like, Charlie Baker drives a car. And so, and so he was talking about, like, no, leadership starts at the, the beginning. And if you – like, do you really think if I found out that Charlie Baker took the T, that that's going to, like, instantly change public transportation in Massachusetts, that people would just stop driving if you no. don't actually invest? No, it has nothing to do I with I don't do, make any decisions based on what Charlie Baker does with his life. Yeah, exactly. Like, none whatsoever. So, I mean, I would love – I haven't heard him on record. Just somebody ask him – because uh, I'm curious what Marty Walsh would say. He does get asked, are you going to run again in 2021? And he declines to answer it. That's weird. Well, I mean, that's like, I don't know, kind of like politics 101. Is you're always just like, I'm focused right now and doing my job. And I mean, everyone, everyone yeah. says that. I think he expects to just be mayor for as long as he wants. But um, I'd be very curious if um, he would support the fair share amendment. I- I'd love to hear his views. But that's what I get for sexy taxes. And now I'm looking at two other Why items. do I feel so dirty after your sexy taxes segment? Because they're never sexy. They're not, <laughs> they're not fun. We, we haven't found a way to actually sex them up yet. I promise things of a hot tub. It's like Howie Carr and Charlie Baker and Marty Walsh yep, and Tucker all... Carlson sitting in a hot tub. Yeah, we're all getting in the sauna. Yeah, the least sexy thing you can imagine. But uh, then again, so are gas taxes, I guess. So. Now, 
I have two other things. I'm looking at the time, seeing how you're feeling. We have to plug some stuff and talk about we stuff. We do. Right. Um, do you have any plugs, or do you want me to quickly make fun of the Patriots? We can make fun of uh Only because they didn't play well last night. Uh, uh, honestly, I'm only going to do this because I... You, well, I mean, that's exactly why I said, uh. Well, you kept watching. I stopped. I did it to myself. I left. My decision was, should I stay at the bar and keep watching this horrible product of people who don't seem to care? And I guess I was wrong. I guess they actually made a pretty, at least an effort in the uh, fourth quarter. Yeah. I decided to leave the bar, go home, and have a bowl of cereal. And I stand by that choice. Being in your 30s is awesome. It's everything I thought it would be. But... The reason I bring up the Patriots is not because of their loss last night to the Texans, or two nights ago, or three nights ago when you're listening to this on podcast. It's because Kraft was in the news recently. And it's not about the massage power. Yeah, what is it this time? It's his support of BDS. You know, Bos- what, you know what BDS is? Boston. Nope. What is it? Boycott, divest, and sanctions. So BDS, the reason it's a thing, the reason it's an acronym, is it is a, I mean, it's been around for decades. It's a way of protesting, or it's a way of stopping a country or a corporation from doing something. In this modern context, BDS refers to the state of Israel. And it's the movement that people are saying you should boycott, divest, or have sanctions on Israel for the treatment of Palestinians. Oh, he supports that? No. Yeah. He supports legislation that makes that illegal. You can't make that illegal. And this is where we, we enter the difference between our concept of reality and reality. So it's our concept of reality that no no government can tell me I can't boycott another nation. We have the First Amendment, right? Yeah. There's over 20 states that if you are a state employee before they give you that job, you have to sign a contract saying, I will not boycott Israel. I will not support the BDS movement. And if you refuse to sign that contract, you do not get hired. Over 20 states in this country, this came up, I think, a year, maybe two ago, a speech pathologist in Texas for like just working at a public school, just just teaching kids how to um, read and speak and articulate better. They put the contract in front of her, like, oh, you have to sign this saying that you won't um, support any boycotts of Israel. And two, just like, I'm not even political, but there's no way you can ask me that. Right. No. And there is a congressional at the federal level, and there's actually one going through the um, state house right now here in Massachusetts saying that if you are a state employee and if you ever promote or go to a protest of Israel or do anything on your spare time or promote anyone who wants to decide to boycott, um, promote disinvestment, promote sanctions, you can get fired. And Kraft is 100% saying, oh, yeah, the state should be able to tell you who you can and cannot boycott. Only for Israel. This literally only applies to... This applies doesn't to happen this. to any other any other country, nope. any other boycott movement. Nope. This only this is uh, kind of insane. Yep. All across the country, you want to boycott Saudi Arabia? Go at it. You want to boycott Iran? Have fun. Well, you want to stand up... They force us to do that, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean we're, I, well, no, no. They force us to do it to Iran, not Saudi yeah, Arabia. Yeah. You want to stop drinking Pepsi and stand outside Coca-Cola. When I buy hummus, I make sure to read the, the where it was made, that it's not a product of Israel, and well, I don't own a soda stream. And, I'm doing but, my part. So this movement only applies to the state of Israel, and there is currently a House bill that, if you're listening to this, your House representative may support, which is basically saying if you are a state employee of Massachusetts, 
you will not be allowed to participate in any boycott, divestment, or sanctions for just the state of Israel. Do it for whatever you want on your time. And I, and how this is squared is we. I want to boycott Israel even more now. Like just because that's such a thing, it's just like no, I'm going to boycott even harder. <laughs> like that's that's so. I mean. I mean, maybe... You can go deep into why that's a thing at some point, because I'm interested. Um, I mean, so the, the most successful use of this was during South Africa for apartheid. Right. And how uh, apartheid ended um, in South Africa was this movement in the United States getting enough companies to shame them to stop doing business, so then the government of South Africa overturned apartheid. So this works. This is a nonviolent way of getting a country to have a just a better record of human rights, treating their marginal population as human. Israel puts out way too much value uh, for companies, uh, tech companies and products uh, for that to be, I mean, the amount of like tech startups and intelligence startups, different things that Israel, you know, grows there and has like a lot of talent there i just don't see that companies would start boycotting their some their technology or st- something like that you know i just that would be i feel like that'd be extremely hard it would be and it's all a cost analysis if you're a corporation you're just like yeah does the bad press equal what we get but uh robert Kraft, he just won the 2019 genesis prize for his hard work for oh and pledging 20 million dollars was the creation of foundation that will try to get the BDS law on the books. So maybe if we spent more time getting Tom Brady a wide receiver, <laughs> we would be number one in the AFC. But no, you want to spend your money doing this? Uh, Horrible. Yeah. I, and I supported them during the whole Orchids of Asia thing. This I can't stand. I mean, I haven't been a f- – he's like friends with Trump and stuff. I've, I've, he's – well, oh, I mean, he's so Tom Brady. He's a billionaire. I can, I, I can like separate sports and my like ent- guilty pleasure entertainment. I can separate it. I got a funny story about Bob Kraft's boat. Oh, what do you got? It was, uh, it was in the North End a few years ago. Did oh, you yeah. do something to it? Because <laughs> you're looking at me like you're not allowed to talk about it on air. No, it's a little, it's a little juvenile, but uh, you know. Um. All right, you can tell me off air. Yeah, I'll tell you or, off air. Or if you become a Patreon subscriber. You get to hear my special Bob Crafts boat and its uh, especially large hemispheres. Ooh, and, that would be good. Yeah, recount that story. No, So um, right now, oh, do you want to do the pitch to get people to, to do our things? You're throwing things for me to do over here. I know. We'll do that. Okay. Um, so, but we have things to plug. Yes, you go first. Okay. Or do you want me to go? <laughs> just, well, just keep going. Um, I'm lost here. I don't know what's going on. No, it's okay. Because I got to finish that thought, though. Okay. For our Patreon subscribers, we could could just do an episode, paywalled, because it's not going to be educational, and we can retell our stories of breaking laws and doing petty crimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell a story about the time that I, you know, we crossed an I-beam over the river after tagging, and yeah, I've got all kinds of petty crime stories. And um, I can tell the time about... Uh, well, the story about the time that I got arrested while I was sleeping. Yeah. What? Talk yeah. about petty. No, no, Patreon members only. I'm not going up to it. Okay. Yeah. My event for this week that I want to pitch, um, well, we talked about the um, Weymouth Compressor. If you are in the area or want to get involved, check out the 
Nocompressor.com? Nocompressor.com. Go to the Boston DSA website, uh, the Facebook page, and our eco-socialism group is working hard on that. We talked about the Harvard Graduate Student Union. Just head to Harvard and just listen to the noise. If you never uh, walked a picket before, this would be a great entry. But what I'm picturing is in my hometown of Dorchester, if you want to hang out with me Saturday during the day, as the crowd goes wild, I will be at the Boston People's Plan Assembly. And it is a large community effort. They, there will be some state reps there, I'm sure, because these type of things look good. There is a massive turnout of just community members throughout Dorchester, throughout the greater Dorchester area, talking about what we want in terms of housing, in terms of renters' rights, in terms of ten, uh, tenant protections, in terms of rent control. And so if you are skittish, if you've never been to like a community meeting and you think it might be a little bit scary, a little bit alienating, this is a good like entry into this world. So it starts at 9 a.m. I'll be honest, I'll probably get there at like 10. Uh, 42 Charles Street, Dorchester, um, this upcoming Saturday. And I will be there. Look for me. I will be the guy in the blue Patriots hat. But come on down. Sounds pretty good. Um, Herb has an event to pitch, actually. Oh, awesome. As a matter of fact, yes, I do. Hey, everybody, how's it going out there? If you're a musician, you're looking for a stage, man, do I have a place for you. Union Tavern on Tuesday nights. Open mic. Come on down. Play what you want. Listen to what you want. Everything is going down at Union Tavern tomorrow, Tuesday nights. Charles River, open mic. Come. That sounds amazing. I might even go myself now. We're going to get Herb on the mic more So often. excited for that. Um, hey, Herb, quick question. Can I invite people to uh, our Christmas party? Sure. Well, I haven't been invited yet, so that'd be nice. I invited you on like both of the Facebook pages, yeah. Evan. Um, so, uh, New Alliance, the uh, wonderful building we have here with a pool and uh, deep inside the market basket in Somerville, we're having a little Christmas party. Um, I'm actually considering doing a show during it and just dragging people in for interviews, so tune in. Um, but... Uh, I'll post it on my page. It's a New Alliance art show and live music Christmas party, December 8th, right here. Um, the address is on the Facebook. I forget. Um, and then what else have we got? We got next week we have Call to Arts. If you are an artist or a musician and you want to help fight gentrification with the man himself, Dave Tree. Shout out to Dave Tree for his lovely backdrops of the day. He doesn't even know how much I talk about him on air yet. It's really funny. Um he made these. I think they look great. Um, he's putting on a co monthly call to arts. I'll be there as well, uh, where artists and musicians who have been pushed out of their spaces, their galleries, want to get together and form a guild and fight back. I got to look into what time that actually is next week. Seven o'clock on what is it? Wednesday? Thursday. Thursday next week. This week. No, that's the Christmas party. Same same thing. No, it's not. Is it? <laughs> I don't know what's going on, apparently. Um, I'm also going to try to check out The Strike this week. I'll probably live stream it, so stay tuned. Probably do some ad hoc interviews. Maybe you'll see Evan there. I don't know. Um, oh, I'll be around. I'm just I, I'm not allowed to do interviews, you said, right? No, you're just not allowed to do phone interviews that you record. And you, it, and you can't do them from inside your house. You need to go to a very well, very area with really good reception, um, as does your guest. But... Uh, I don't know. That's all I have for events. Um, let me just check and see if I got anything else going on. Uh, we have to plug um, ourselves. So, you know, if you liked what we did today or not, uh, follow us, like, subscribe on our Facebook. We are at Renters Radio. 
Um, we're also on Twitter, Instagram, yada yada. Give us five stars on. Yeah, we have a podcast. We'll be putting iTunes. it out. Yeah, we'll put it out on uh, iTunes, Spotify. We're also Renters Radio there. Like, subscribe, give reviews, five stars, all of that. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash renters radio. For just $4 a month, you can help make this all possible. And, um, you know, uh, we also have an email address, uh, rentersradio at gmail.com. Submit stories, submit anything. This is your show, too. And I want to thank Herb. I want to thank Evan. I want to thank our guests today um, for a really good show. We'll see what the snow looks like when we get outside. So till next week, uh, I don't know what we're doing yet, but we'll figure it out. We always do. We always do. So have a good week, guys. Stay strong. Solidarity. Later. Later.